Hello, my name is King Azaz. I remain Ned. <laughs> and this is the Force Unlimited, yet another Star Wars Unlimited podcast. This is episode number eight. We're recording on January 30th, uh, and we're recording mm. from the city of Dictionopolis, which any well-read elementary school child knows is a place where math is illegal. Uh, this is going to be a math-free episode by the transitive power of love. Uh, I love math, but I refuse to allow the Force Unlimited to become the uh, Khan Academy SWU edition. So we can't teach math every episode. Can't we, though? <laughs> uh, I mean, we could, but we we dream, we have to make our brand bigger, right? Like, you know, vertical okay. integration, horizontal integration. We are more than mere math, so... All right, uh, I will find a way, though, to smuggle some math into this episode. Mark my words. I, I believe you. Uh, you are one prone to uh, skullduggery and crime. Uh, so, <laughs> um, all right, uh, Ned. Uh, so let's uh, talk about the match we just played. Who played? Who won? Uh, we played two games. I was playing Leia Red. Uh, I've seen the garbage rollers absolutely uh, stomp with it. And unfortunately, I was not able to repeat that performance. I got completely obliterated by Krennic Green. Just two games in a row. Wasn't even really close. There were some moments where maybe it could have gone one way or the other. Uh, my feeling about it, having played the deck now, after having seen it, is that it's a deck that rewards a lot of careful piloting decisions, which is maybe not the best choice at this time on a school night. I think, yeah, uh, of note, uh, dear re uh, dear listener, we are recording on a Tuesday night, uh, which is unusual for us. Uh, I will be away next week. So we're actually about two weeks behind our air date. So uh, the world might be a very different place. There may be a green yes. villainy leader. Uh, it's going to be a different place. But And we are recording on a school night, so uh, bear with us. Yeah, uh, that was that was I, I expected. I expected to get shut down, uh, but yeah. uh, there's just there's too much early beef in in Green Krennic. Um, yeah, there's, I mean between uh, the um, uh, the Death uh, Stormtrooper and the yep. uh, Shore Trooper and the yep. Cell Block Guard, there's just a lot. And of... the Consortium Star Viper trades really well into my early air units. Uh, I actually, uh, in a later yeah. segment, we're going to talk a little bit about Consortium Star Viper. Uh, that Ooh. card, uh, the first game, uh, pulled its weight. Good. Uh, yeah. and, and it's fascinating because sometimes you're using it for restore. Sometimes you're using it just for a 3-3 in space because you need to, you know, not die in space. Um, so that was uh, the game. Um, takeaway is that uh, I think aggro for me is that aggro is not not take this the least pejoratively way possible ned but aggro in star wars unlimited is in all games it's a it can be a high skill deck archetype yes. but in star wars unlimited it definitely feels like there's a in particular yeah nuance yeah. that takes experience and and, and training yeah. aggro uh, is you ha you make very few choices and so you have to make the choices exactly right that's a excellent way of yeah phrasing it and thinking about it yeah all right Let's break into our main segment tonight. Tonight, uh, first off, we're going to talk about bluffing. Ned, oh boy, uh, you are the uh, expert in skullduggery and crime. Uh, oh, previously man. established. <laughs> what do you have to say about bluffing? Uh, well, I think that bluffing is something that people really like in games, but I, I think that people use the term bluff, bluffing in an overbroad way. 
in that uh, they use bluffing to refer to any kind of misdirection, and I don't think that that's really what bluffing is. Okay, so I guess the yeah. threshold question is, what do you think bluffing is? Um, my definition of bluffing, and I'm, I'm perfectly willing to hear a different definition of bluffing, is you are making a credible misrepresentation about information that you have access to, but your opponent does not, in hopes of gaining an advantage. That is the core of bluffing. And all of those words, as in most good definitions, are doing work. Yep, they're all load-bearing words. Uh, I was listening, yes. and I love that. I don't know that I've completely wrapped my head around that. Um, okay, so let's start with uh, the contra. What is misdirection? So uh, misdirection is when you are attempting to get your opponent to believe something that is not necessarily true. I think that a classic example of a misdirection that is not a bluff is what's called the pen trick in Magic. So in Magic, when somebody makes an attack, you choose how to block. And so a really common situation is your opponent makes a move as if they are about to attack, and you pick up the pen. When you're picking up the pen, you are signaling to your opponent, I'm about to mark down my life total, I'm about to take damage. And so that is signaling to your opponent that you don't have anything that you can possibly do. But when you pick up the pen, you have not done anything. You have not said anything. You have just misrepresented the state of the game in a way that is within the bounds of the rules, but is not bluffing. You are not making a credible misrepresentation about information you have access to in the hopes of gaining an advantage. You are pointing your opponent's attention somewhere that it shouldn't be in hopes that they will forget that picking up the pen is not a meaningful game action. So is the distinction then, to break that down, is, is, yeah. is in your mind misdirection is entirely in terms of, I mean, again, the value of uh, paper uh, card games. It's the in-person communication. It's the the nuance, the reaching to see a facial tick, kind of yeah, looking for tells, uh, as opposed to so bluffing is making game actions, in-game mechanically represented actions, I or absence of actions. That, so that I, I, I think you can make a misdirection in game actions. So I think a good SWOO example is if I'm attacking with units in the ground arena, I am drawing your attention to units in the ground arena. If I have a particular unit in the space arena that I'd like to keep alive, I might make moves in the ground arena to draw your attention there, and that is a misdirection. I am not making a representation about... Uh, contents of information that I have access to. And I think that it's really important why I have come up with this definition the way I have is uh, because when we look at sort of the classic bluffing game of poker uh, or games like poker, people will frequently make bad bluffs because they don't understand what they're trying to do. And I think that that's why it's really important. Again, not, this is not mathematical, but this is, this is informed by mathematics. If you want to be accurate about something, you have to be precise. No, and I'm, that's why I'm, I want to make sure we're circling yeah. these misdirection versus yeah. bluffing definitions. Yeah. So, in a sense, misdirection is almost the it's stage magic. It is the, yes. the craft of I'm I'm tricking you by virtue of a lot of my presence, the pen, mm -hmm. but or also I'm doing things. I'm generating effort and energy and attention in yeah. places that I would rather you not think about. Yes. And at the end, you feel bamboozled, but not 
betrayed. You don't feel lied right. to. Whereas a, right. in your terms, a bluff is very much a they made actions that telegraphed information that turned out to be materially false. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I think like another fantasy flight game that has a good example of a misdirection versus a bluff is Netrunner. Is in Netrunner, a bluff can be, I am placing an asset. Uh, is this asset, uh, when you place an asset as the corp, you're placing it face down. You have access to this information and your opponent doesn't. Uh, if your opponent uh, thinks that this asset is an agenda, they should attack it. And if they think that it is a trap, they should not. So uh, to, to go back to another classic bluffing scene of uh, Vincini in The Princess Bride, uh, only a fool would, yeah, yada, yada, yada. You have that, that information like, why would you place an agenda in an unprotected place? Making that is an attempt at a bluff. Whereas, So for those I who, don't, have, who yeah. haven't played Netrunner, yeah. which may be a non-trivial number of our listeners, uh, the general yeah. premise is, because we're going to come back to this, it's a classic... Yeah. Uh, as Star Wars Unlimited becomes more competitive, I think there's a compelling mm -hmm. argument to be made that Netrunner is currently the reigning champion for FFG competitive. Uh, the historical reigning champion. Historical reigning champion. Yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously yes. right now there's one competitive game out. Uh, yes. that, but but of all FFG. the FFG yeah. games, I yeah. think Netrunner is the historical reigning champion. The game to beat if you want to have more yes. prestige. And one of yes. the components is one player, it's an asymmetric game, places their, uh, the, they place their victory point cards face down, but they also yes. place other cards face down. And the, net, yes. the runner's job, the other asymmetric player's job, is to discover the, card, the victory point cards before they die from discovering the non-victory point cards. So your yes. point is placing the, Placing a card that's completely unprotected outside yes. all of the tra uh, visible defenses, un right. unprotected, is a is, is very much that a can constitute a bluff. Yes, right? that can constitute a bluff. Yes. Well, it's almost a challenge, right? Like, I mean, it's, yes. it's a it, we you know that's very uh, that gets into to go back to yeah. business right. You know that I know that right. you know that I know that you know exactly. Where, yeah, where where you know it's unprotected, I know it's unprotected. So obviously, I wouldn't right. put real. Uh, victory points there i put a trap there but right. you know yeah. that i know that so you won't run it so if i know that you won't run it then i would put victory points there but mm. right and that goes into a different related concept which is termed yomi which is this idea of reading where like you're trying to read what your opponent is likely to do and you're trying to sort of train them into a set of responses and then break that but bluffing can be related to yomi but is not necessarily a part of yomi and i think that uh, we're going to go just to, to kind of hone in on the definition a little bit more. I'm going to talk about the really classic example of bluffing in poker. So in poker, um, I, I hope that people have played poker, but in the event that you haven't, uh, all the players in a game will have a hand of cards. These hand of cards vary in how good they are. You have information about your hand of cards. You don't have any information about the other player's hand of cards. And then depending on the variant of poker that you're playing, you'll have some information about some shared cards. So a bluff in poker is that you are trying to represent your hand as being something other than it is. A classic bluff is that you are representing that you have a good hand when you have a bad hand in hopes of scaring people out. Uh, and because in order to keep playing the game of poker, you have to keep putting money into the pot for the player to win. So if the other person has a very good hand and you do not have a very good hand, then it is to your advantage to stop playing this particular hand as quickly as possible. But, and I think this goes into TCGs and especially 
two out yeah. of three, you also get into that kind of, and I, I don't play poker. Uh, I, right. I, I aggressively don't play poker. I am, I think it is fair to say that I am a pretty good liar. Um, I would completely agree with that. Uh, I, I'm capable of just running. Yes. I, I don't generally lie both because it's wrong and because I'm bad at keeping track of details. So I tend to get tripped up uh, as a child yep. when I lied. But the act of maintaining facial composure and just saying things that are patently false comes easily to me. That aspect of poker feels very easy. But reading other people who are lying, that I, I had not heard that term yell me before, uh, that I'm yeah. terrible at. I am, yeah. uh, I am as bad at reading other people's lies as I am at conveying my own. And so like, no, I don't hard, get into poker because yeah. right. it, it's um, too much trying to figure. I can barely figure out what I'm supposed to do with my hand, figuring out what other people are doing with their hands. And half the time it involves real money. Mm -mm. I, yeah. I gave up with anti and magic. Like, I'm out. I will say that you are looking at the 2012 fall champion of my graduate institution for the department poker uh, tournament. So, you know, that, and those people understood minor. math, I presume. So odds they to to varying degrees. They understood <laughs> math. Uh, same thing so big, they lost. They, 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 they you lost, get lost the, in the sauce. Yeah, yeah. You, I, I, I have known a lot of people who have gotten lost in the sauce. Um, but a way that people bluff badly in poker is that they will continually bluff. They will, and then they are not making credible bluffs. Again, the, the idea behind bluffing is that you are making a credible misrepresentation. If you are bluffing literally every hand, any bluff you make ceases to be, any, any hand that you're attempting to bluff on ceases to be credible, and there's no, you're not bluffing anymore. You're, it, it incentivizes the other players to behave differently because you are not bluffing, you are just playing badly. So I, I, want, I want to follow up one thing. You yeah. mentioned an aspect of bluffing being uh, pretending you have a better hand than you do. Than you do, and yeah. Please do not at us in the comments with your poker wisdom. I'm not going to take it up, but uh, based on my experience in Netrunner and so forth, how often would you say you need to bluff to have having a worse hand than you actually do? That you want to out a non-zero number of times? Because if you've got the best hand, let's imagine that you have the best possible hand. If you let everybody know that you have the best possible hand, then everybody is incentivized to get out, right? To stop to stop spending money. So what you want to signal is that you have a hand that is sufficiently good that you want to stay in but not so good that you it drives everybody away and so you are typically trying to signal in this this clever way when you're bluffing in poker it's less of a it's it's less often called a bluff when you're you're trying to to indicate that you have a less good hand than you actually do but i would consider that to be in that classic definition of bluffing where you're making a credible misrepresentation about your information to gain an advantage if you are signaling that you have like a pair when actually you have a straight, then that is meaning a meaningful uh, misrepresentation of your information in hopes of gaining an advantage. Okay, so this goes back to, let's tie, let, tying this back into Star Wars Unlimited. Uh, yes. In poker, yeah. it's, it's not a binary win-loss. If, yeah. if I win a little, I'm sad. Like, yes. if, I, if I blow a royal flush on a tiny pot, I, I feel yeah. that's not that's not really a win, bad. right? Right, like, you, 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 you did not take full advantage of your opportunity. Right, there's an element of drawing out yeah. more victory. And 
Yes. Maybe I'm just thinking too macroscopically, but with TCGs, specifically, uh, uh, you know, dude bashers like Star Wars Unlimited, you either win or you lose, right? And and so there's an element of how, how much are you trying to bluff in order to draw out, right? Like you're trying to slow them down so that you can play, you know, get two back to back actions. I don't yeah. have the thing. This will allow me to set up the thing. I think it's a pretty common thing. So I think, uh, like, in a Star Wars context, I'm going to look at um, Overwhelming Barrage, because I think Overwhelming Barrage is a really good example of a card you will be bluffing about. So just to... Uh, I hope I guess in both ways, almost, because you sometimes yeah. want to convince no, them exactly. you have it, and sometimes you right. want to convince them you don't have it. You don't have it, right. So... so to go through, the reason why you do a lot of bluffing with Overwhelming Barrage is because Overwhelming Barrage is one of the few cards in the card pool that allows you to answer multiple opponents' cards with a single card. So if you have a reasonably sized unit on the board and you are playing certain aspects, or even if you're not playing certain aspects and you have a lot of uh, extra resources, you can play Overwhelming Barrage and possibly take out a huge fraction of your opponent's board, or all of it. So. Um, let's consider those two cases. The case of you do not have Overwhelming Barrage and you wish to bluff that you do. In the event that you do not have Overwhelming Barrage but you wish to bluff that you do, Wait, if you are I'm behind... Pause you. Oh, Why would you want yeah. to bluff that you do? Like, I mean, what, what's the What's the What's the game? There? Yeah. Right. The goal there is typically when you are playing Overwhelming Barrage, let's imagine that I am playing a more controlling deck. I am the control against another player who is the beatdown. The beatdown wants to attack my base. Right? They, they want to spend their units attacking my base. If I am signaling that I have Overwhelming Barrage, they have to send some of their units after your units so that you cannot Overwhelming Barrage because Overwhelming Barrage relies on you having a unit there. So you are preventing base damage in one way. You are also going to encourage that player, if they can't take out your unit, to not play units from their hand. And the reason for that is each additional unit that you play, if you've got like a lot of small units, you can get those all cleared up by a single overwhelming barrage. Whereas if you were... Uh, so you're holding them at, for after the board wipe. Yeah. Yeah. You want to wait till after the board wipe. So that's when you are signaling that you do have an overwhelming barrage, right? Okay. Um, so in that case, what you are trying to do is you are trying to misrepresent that you have that overwhelming barrage in your hand in hopes of making your opponent um, slow down. Right? You're, you're trying to make the aggro player slow down. And in general, when you are the beatdown, when you have to slow down, slowing down is bad. The more you slow down, the more you advantage the control player. So, or the player who is playing the control in, this, in a particular matchup. So sometimes you have to slow down, but you don't want to. So if you can credibly signal that you have an overwhelming barrage, um, then your opponent is going to uh, need to play around it, possibly. Okay. And then yeah. the inverse, where you're trying to convince them you don't have one. That one feels a little more obvious. That one's, yeah. I'm trying to convince you I don't Just, have it, so that you overextend. You leave yes. my big beefy eight dudes on the table. You play lots yep. of little dudes. Yep. I overwhelm a barrage. I clear the board. Uh, and now I have uh, my beefy unit is even beefier. And so um, you need, as the player who is bluffing, to be able to signal that you have it. And this is where we get into the credible misrepresentation, right? Okay. One of the, the real keys to bluffing well is that you want to make sure that you are signaling um, accurately, that you're not sending off a lot of weird signals. 
Uh, before we go too deep in the weeds on the overwhelming barrage and, and what I think of as being like the the operative parts of uh, bluffing, uh, are there other circumstances that you can think of that are like clear bluffs that you might be, be signaling? Like overwhelming barrage is the one that's obvious to me, but I feel like there might be a couple of others. Uh, I mean, for me, it, it, uh, for me, basically it's any removal, right? Um, yeah. So power of the dark side, right? Like I want yeah. you to play something really big into an empty board. Um, yes. As opposed to two small things because right. I, I want max value from uh, right. power of the dark side. I can imagine uh, uh, takedown, uh, you know, bluffing that I, that I don't have sure. takedown allows you to be more confident that you could trade instead of running into base. But now that trade puts your leader or uh, high Whatever. hit point target with yeah. into a, a five point range. Likewise, yep. vanquish, right? Um, I feel like yeah. I'm trying to think of what I'd want to bluff based on the games I've played uh, other than removal. It always, always feels like that's what I'm trying removal, to Removal, ambush units, right. Cause, and the reason why like bluffing with these is that these are things that go generally from being in your hands to taking an immediate effect. It's hard to bluff with units um, because the unit there's a time between when you play the unit and when the unit gets to do a thing. So well, and I think that's why bluffing yeah. the removal is so powerful yeah. or important right. is because uh, because the back and forth nature. I only get one action, so I need to you. Yes. I need to put you. I don't get the chance to put you on the back foot and then take advantage of it. I don't get to set up my combo, take advantage of the combo. I only get to do one. So what I've really got to do is convince you to put yourself on the back foot. I've got to convince you mm -hmm. to put something within reach, not meaning the aggro reach, but just any right. one target within reach of my removal if it isn't an inherent level of removal. Right. So I'm trying, I don't, I don't, I mean, again, ambush again just goes down to yeah. removal. It's, it's about making right. favorable trades. You're bluffing that you don't have the ability to make an optimal trade. So they will feel confident to put themselves in a position to make a weaker trade and then you can yep. take advantage of them. Yeah. And that, that ambush, that also holds to units that do a thing when they come into play. Like, I think these are harder bluffs to make because they're such a fine-grained um, choice, and I don't know to what extent that you're getting a lot of value out of them. But something like um, Wing Leader or uh, TIE Advanced or um, the units um, that when they come into play, they let you attack with another friendly unit. I oh, like those, the those, Fleet Lieutenant yeah. and the... Uh... yeah. I and forget the, what the dark side the, one is. Yeah, the the villainy one is. The the uh, the snow lieutenant. Snow. Fra yeah, snow guy. Yeah, snow, snow guy lieutenant. Yeah. yeah. Um. And I, so, I'm curious though. What is? I mean, I, I don't want to ask how do I bluff. Um. That that implies I'm not amazing at lying. But but what is the distinction between bluffing? And just setting yourself up for optimal traits, right? Because a bluff implies an intent to deceive. It implies yes, uh, uh, an intent, you know, that the, I, a, an awareness on my part of the material knowledge that you have on your part. I, I I'm thinking specifically right now. I'm I have in my head one of the our two games. I'm playing yeah. Green Krennic. You left Krennic with one, and yes. I, I say as if there was some intentionality there. But there's a moment where I've got Krennic on the board, 
He's got one hit point left mm-hmm. or damage less than hit yeah. points. He's got one hit point left. And I'm able to play Academy Walker. I don't yes. know that I was... I don't think there was a bluff there. I don't think there was, was just a bluff, like you... right? That's just an yeah, optimal no. play. I, I was doing other things. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I guess that's where I'm trying to get to is what is... So you use the a phrase of you know intentional actions leading to a, a material misrepresentation. Misrepresenta- credible credible okay. credible misrepresentation about information that you have access to but your opponent doesn't in hopes of gaining an advantage okay well let's uh let's walk through i mean let's, yeah. if every term is lord bearing yeah let's figure out why that word has to be in the in the All definition right. So let's let's work backwards. So okay. in hopes of gaining an advantage, you are okay. bluffing because you were trying to get something. That something might be that it might be like a better state in the game, or it might just be that you get to feel extra clever. Like not all bluffs are necessarily good bluffs, but you might just like get to get one over on the other guy, the other person, and, and then you'll feel smart. So this kind of an advantage. Typically when you're bluffing though, you're trying to bluff because you are trying to gain an advantage. If you are just misrepresenting things in hopes of, um, you know, woo goofy. You thought I didn't mode. have it, but I did yeah, slam. Yeah, I actually did. Yeah. Right. right. Like that's... So, unless they've made a choice or taken an action yeah. in reliance on that right. information. Then, yeah, you, 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 uh, uh, and it's in hopes of gaining an advantage because you can make bluffs and these bluffs can go badly and you can end up because sometimes bluffs are costly. Like a non-trivial fraction of the time when you are making a bluff, part of what is going to be making the bluff credible is that you are costing yourself something. You are playing in a way that would be suboptimal, but for the thing that you have. But if they call your bluff, bluff, then you can you've be just played place. suboptimally to telegraph oh, yeah. right. information that is false, right? Yep. So, and, okay. Well, so su- so there has to be an intentionality. Uh, I love that yeah. idea of uh, there's an intent yeah. to benefit. It's yes. not just to show off or feel good, but intent to make a mechanical change in the game. Uh, okay, All so right. you've got to send credible signals. But I, like, what is that? So, okay, so uh, just to, to keep walking backwards. Uh, about information that you have access to that your opponent doesn't. If the information is shared between both players and you are attempting to deceive in hopes of getting an advantage, that can be a misdirection, right? Like again, if we think about like the space arena, ground arena, if I'm attacking on the ground arena to try and draw your attention over there, it's not that I have access to information that you don't. We both have access to the same information. It's just that I'm trying to make certain parts of the information more salient to you in hopes that you forget the other information you totally have access to. Yeah, exactly. You're trying to figure out how I'm going to spend the resources on this ground arena pitch battle, not realizing I'm actually about to spend these resources on the space arena that you have forgotten. But but I have no secret knowledge of a secret unit. There's no morph. Yeah. It's just don't think about it. Okay. So it's got to be... Look over here. Yeah. So what is information? I mean, I assume there's no information that I know that you don't know that's not my hand. It's mostly your, I mean, I think that there are a couple of other places. My hand, my sideboard, and my deck, right? Like I have information about my hand that you don't have access to. 
if it's a closed deck list tournament, I have information about my deck that you don't have access to. And if it's um, a closed deck list tournament, I have information about my sideboard that you don't have access to. So this goes back and, to that drawing out the pot that, right? I mean, best two out of three means you're not going to lose a game just to win a later game. But no, but the risk could be I'm elevating the risk in this game of the suboptimal play is in this game, but I will very much reap the rewards. Right. Another, another bluff that I think that you can make. So talk about sideboarding. Um, let's imagine that, um, I, uh, we're talking about, um, what's the consortium consortium starfighter star Viper. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yep, three, three. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Red three and that interplay right like if you're running consortium star viper and i'm running red three sometimes i'm i'm really unhappy right because if i'm playing my uh red three and you attack it with the consortium star viper you're able to trade your consortium star viper into my red three so i would really like that you side out that, that in like game two or game three that you get rid of your consortium star viper it might be i mean case. i feel like yeah. uh energy conversion lab labbing my star viper into red three was yeah. that that hurt uh yes. i had a hand that a had a lot yeah rook. well it hurt you right i had yeah. a rook in my hand i had uh a dj desk you know uh the yeah uh super laser technician in my hand yeah like i had more traditional ecl targets but in that moment with no space units just leaving red three out was untenable right and so so you like, want to get it out that, so you're trying to so draw it so out I, of money. i want to get it out so so i mean i don't have a good example of this because i don't know why you would take consortium star viper out of your deck but let's let's pretend that you only have it in there to deal with my red three so when it goes to start when it goes to sideboarding what i might do is i might um look like i'm sideboarding things out and not actually sideboard anything out in hopes that I'm tricking you into siding out your consortium star vipers. That, that sounds like misdirection, Ned. Um, it is a little bit misdirection, but but um, I mean, I guess, but but less misdirection. Yeah. But two material effects would be sideboarding out one red three, like actually. Right. Yes. So here's this yes. pile of cards. I am sideboarding out red three. Yes. One of them. I'm going to leave two. Yeah. Hopefully, you're thinking I'm getting you know rid of all Getting the all of them out right so then i take yeah. out my consortium star vipers because they exist in part to deal with red three maybe i'm not saying that that's actually a good idea this is just like no an example but, but the idea of yeah yeah using cyborgs we we don't have enough of a card pool or enough tournament experience in star wars unlimited to give a very specific star wars unlimited example but example. okay right i'm I, i'm following all right so right but uh and then the last thing is that so so that was the information we have access to Sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say, no, so I was doing the same math you were yeah. working backwards. So yeah. I've got to make a, I, I have, there's a benefit uh, yeah. using information that I have access to. I've got to, in some yep. way, credibly signal, you said? Credibly, credibly represent. misrepresent. So the way typically that you credibly misrepresent information is you send a signal. Because I can, and sometimes signals are cheap. An example of a cheap signal is something where I'm just talking. Right, like an example of a really cheap signal is, I draw my card and I go, oh, ho, ho, I got overwhelming barrage. You're in for a world of hurt, right? Like, I mean, that that feels like seven-year-old yeah. level. 
oh no, like, you know, Signals, exactly. But, but it's a right. signal, right? It is a signal, right? But, but to the point about like talk being cheap, you want it to make a credible signal. And between, you know, adults in a semi-serious environment drawing a card and going, oh, ho, ho, I got my overwhelming barrage is not a credible signal, right? Like, so to that anything, end, I mean, you, I, yeah. I feel like watching, I, I think back in Netrunner, uh, yeah. I have a pretty, I'm pretty good at tracking the hands that are my card or cards that are my hand. I don't have to, yeah. um, look at them all the time. Yeah. And, and so placing a hand down mm -hmm. that I was unsure of, but I mean, again, that's the adult version of, Oh, ho, ho. it's still like right. elementary level parlor or chicanery, but right. the idea of like, Oh, I've got exactly like an easy decision to make with this hand. Yep. I'm going to take a moment go. to drink my Dr. Pepper and like tidy up all of my servers, even though I'm actually mulling through, shoot, I drew a card that really leaves me in a lurch. I don't have the immediate answer, right? That is the slightly more nuanced. Oh, ho, ho, but that, that quick right. telegraph. I think right? another, right. I think another it costs you way that you could do yeah, and I think another like free example is counting your opponent's hit points on their cards. So like a really common, if, if you're trying to signal overwhelming barrage, you might uh, ask them like, so what, 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 how many hit points you got? Or like counting, like looking at your unit and counting, right? right? I mean, to that end, that's actually yeah. one of my go-to tactics for actually for misdirection, yeah. which is just, yeah. I want to pretend I'm really focused on the ground arena when I actually care about how many points you have on a space unit, but okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm tracking. I'm tracking. Okay. So credible signals talk is cheap. What kind of not cheap credible signals can you send? Um, leaving five resources up and passing. So you're not taking the initiative. You are specifically, I am passing, right? Like if I have five resources up and I have cards in hand, that's I'm signaling. Like I could have played a unit. If I have five resources, there are probably units or other cards that I could be playing. But if I am passing with five resources up, I am signaling to you, I am waiting for you to play additional things so that I can kill them. I feel like I can't do that with Overwhelming Barrage anymore. I feel like yeah, the likelihood that I'm going to play against the listener who like calls me out on that. that okay, yeah, yeah, no, that's... And, and the cost is right. non-trivial. Right. It's, it's greater because than if zero. They pass, if they pass back, then you've lost your opportunity, you've lost a resource advantage, right? Like right. those resources did nothing. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, An another example of this that you uh, that is a semi-credible signal is resourcing up to five. If I'm playing a deck that tops out at like four-ish, but I have overwhelming barrage in my set and I resource up to five, like I have spent a card to signal, I am now moving up to five resources. And if your opponent, and again, to the point of credible, um, your opponent needs to understand that your deck tops out at a certain level because if you are not, uh, if you're playing like a normal deck and you resource up to six or seven before you stop, that's not that's not a signal. You're not sending any information there. But you, if if you stopped on four last turn, and now you're going up to five, or I think a better example of this, um, rather than overwhelming brush, is with Palp. Right, like if you're running palp at the top of your curve, and or some other like big big boy at the top of your curve, resourcing up to the level to get to the top of your curve is 
a signal. And sometimes well, it can and be I, expensive. I think yeah. for me, it's the the pause, like you said, the pause, and then yeah. the resource. Right? You're yes. you're running uh, black red. You have access to palp, and so yeah. you hang out at seven for a while. Yeah. And then suddenly you resource to eight. That's a yep. You drew something that merits eight right. when really your hand is just two Death Star Stormtroopers. Right. And unfortunately, um, one of the things about credible signals is that the more costly a signal is, the more likely it is to be credible. And what I mean by that, to, to be very precise, is talk is cheap. If things are cheap, then they're, they're kind of free to do. People won't always do them because we're not perfect signaling machines outside of people who play an enormous amount of poker um who like do the the hood and the, the sunglasses and the hat and the, the whole nine yard like most of us were playing we're chatting we're like ooh ah yay as we draw cards right, um, right, right. so we're, we're sending signals all the time so those signals um if we were trying to be very you know tight and controlled about our bluffing we'd want to keep our signals as quiet as we can or uh, alternatively, you'd want to be constantly signaling all the time, right? right. Like th this, if I, if Whereas, you are like me, and I feel that you are, like constantly sending r credible signals, like constantly leaking information when it's not hugely materially relevant, can make the misdirection more believable when you have to do it. it can make right, that, that right, credible right. But misdirection. Then yeah, it becomes more credible the more the more likely you wouldn't do this unless. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. So th is, is that the trifecta, the credible material or credible signals about information that only you have towards yeah. a goal of gaining advantage? That That is the core of the bluff in my opinion. Okay. Okay. I mean, I guess the first question is to, to what end uh, uh, this, this segment, uh, you know? So, I I think that why why are we talking about it? Because I think that that Swu has a lot of bluffing in it. I mean, like there's the obvious card game stuff about um, when do I have overwhelming barrage? Do I have an ambush unit? Those kinds of removal. But I think that there's also some micro decisions that you are doing some some semi bluffs in. I'm not right. sure if they're full bluffs, but I think an example of this is. Uh, passing and taking the initiative, right? Like when you're taking the initiative, you are frequently leaving stuff on the table, right? Like I am having to stop taking game actions because I want to go first next round. And sometimes what I want to do is I want to encourage you to take the initiative before you've done everything. And sometimes it's just calculated out, right? Like you can, you can, brute calculate out i need to go first next round or else you are going to kill me i need to go first next round or else you are going to be able to trade away your board into my board you know i need to my my window to attack is very small i need to go first in order to do that and so these questions about taking the initiative i think have this kind of micro bluff decision to them when they're not being purely calculated okay okay yeah i you know I'm of two minds on bluffing in Star Wars Unlimited. On the one hand, the structure of the game feels like it doesn't mm -hmm. actually leave a lot of room for bluffing. The fact that it's so unit heavy um, that there's there's no kind of 
out of band reactions to Telegraph. Um, so far. So far, which and I, I yeah, so far. But when it's my turn to do a thing, I know that I'm going to do it no matter what. There's there's no secret yeah. information about the next action I get to take. Right. So I have hand, perfect information about this particular action. What about this particular action. Next. But yeah. it also feels, in a sense, Star Wars Unlimited kind of feels like a Victorian novel in that if everything's so rigid, then the tiniest gestures actually matter, right? Compared mm-hmm. to uh, something like uh, Legend of the Five Rings, where it's my mm-hmm. turn, I'm going to do my stuff. I'm going to do all yep. my stuff. Like, yep. feel free to go grab a soda. And yep. so a, a soft gesture, like, and it doesn't even mean, I don't even mean physical misdirection, but just I have to wager my entire turn to convey a signal to you. Whereas right. with Star Wars Unlimited, I get one action this turn mm-hmm. before you get to respond. So that means you're hyper-focused on the one action that I'm taking because you can't take your yes. action until I take my one action. Mm-hmm. And, and so then, oh, like... She showed her ankle. Like, oh, right. like he arrived five minutes late, <laughs> right? Like, oh, yeah. why is he attacking with this unit instead of with this other unit, right? It becomes mm-hmm. very much this, like, this one little dance has every movement matters. And, I, and so I, I do feel that, like, things that kind of become taken for granted in games where you get to take your whole turn suddenly gain gravitas, gain weight which then yes. allows you to still only one action that you're throwing away to bluff. But now that bluff is red, right? Like that bluff yeah. is telegraphed in a way that I think, I mean, a good player is going to know that you may or may not be bluffing and evaluate, but, but at least right. you don't have to worry about the signal getting lost against the backdrop of a whole turn. It's, it's this one action. So I think that that's true, but I think that to, to go back to, uh, what I talked about about people bluffing badly is that I think that a lot of times people do bluff badly, and that's, I think, part of why we're doing this segment, is that the essence of bluffing well is that you need to bluff credibly, and bluffing credibly means that you need to be able to send a signal that your opponent can read. And a lot of times I think people are just, like, making so much noise that there's, it's hard to... Like, you see this with suboptimal players, uh, like like Parker and myself, for example, or at least myself. Like, a lot of times, I think that a much better player could be, re- could be trying to read into it, and you get this, like, are they really cleverly bluffing, or are they just an idiot? Right. And I, and well, I think that... Right, like, the yeah. greatest swordsman in the world yeah. doesn't fear the second best swordsman in the world, right? Like so. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so, essentially, you have to ensure both that you are sending out the right level of signal. A good bluffing requires yeah. the right level of signal because if it gets lost, yeah. then all you're doing is making slightly suboptimal plays. Yep. Like, but if you're making suboptimal yeah. plays without telegraphing anything, then all you're doing is playing right. suboptimally. Yes. Uh, but likewise, be mindful of the skill level of your opponent. That Yes. If they're not going to be picking up what you're putting down, then stop putting things down. Right, and I mean, this is a new card game. There's a, we're, we're coming into this with a lot more experience than a lot of other card games because I, I think that you know the, the world of card game theoretics has, has advanced in the, the however many years since Magic was released. But at the same time, I think that SWU has a lot of really new features, and I think that it's going to be interesting with release and moving forward how 
good we get at at sending these little micro micro signals and and how good we get at picking them up because like you said that there's that dance element to it that you don't see in a lot of other card games because of the alternating activations yeah uh to that end um i was at the road show over the weekend and it was good to get out of the bubble um to, you know watching garbage rollers tower number nine watching all the the constant youtube content becoming versed in plays and then sitting down with actual human beings uh who aren't high on you know uh fantasy flights farts like that yeah. that are just like showed up have played a lot of magic or lore canna and learned how to play swoo an hour ago and then playing against them it's like actually there's a lot that like I'm trying to signal, not even necessarily bluffing, just letting you know this is where the game is going and just woohoo, you know, over here and yeah, and like oh man, like keeping up. So that's right. I have five more things I want to say about bluffing. Oh please, I'm lying. I have nothing more to say about bluffing, Ned. Ned and I have uh, initially avoided talking about spoilers up until now, mostly because I, I feel like I'm an idiot and probably don't have a lot to contribute, and Ned really dislikes incomplete data sets. Uh, however, I've said it before, I'll say it again, Star Wars Unlimited is uh, bringing, making me feel things that I've, I've never felt before. Uh, it's awakening uh, things uh, inside of me. I, I feel like I want to break into song. But I won't. Uh, instead, um, I want to talk about Mel cards. Uh, I've also historically been uninterested in Mel cards, Melvin cards, Melanie cards. Uh, that axis of analysis, Vorthos to Mel, has not been my jam. But I don't know if it's Star Wars Unlimited or talking about a singular game with Ned this much. But uh, here I am thinking about cards from a Mel standpoint. Uh, so also I want to say shout out to the entire Star Wars Unlimited community for pushing me here. Uh, traditionally Vorthos and Mel exist on a spectrum and turns out people really care about Star Wars a lot. The IP. Uh, and, and so a what? game about what? What? I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm right. <laughs> like, people like, care a lot about Star Wars. Who to thunk? So yeah. a game about Star Wars brings out the Vorthos in people. And I would rate Star Wars as one of my top five space opera IPs. I think that is a fair estimation of where it rates in my heart. Um, I mean, if you can define any any category small enough, you can you can bump things up in the range. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I didn't say yeah. science fiction. I said space opera. <laughs> no, and, I was picking that up. Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, you gotta you gotta gotta rule <laughs> yeah, no, out. No, no, no. no you, you gotta so, hedge. You gotta hedge. Gotta yeah. hedge. So. All of that, and I respect that love, and I, and I I appreciate that love. But when people get angry or concerned that Ularen is neutral and, and is not villainous, or uh, why do we have these rebels who aren't heroism? That's that's not my fight. So I wanted to dive in a little bit to uh, my Mel side. Uh, that, I think I'm being pushed there. So. Uh, for those of you who didn't watch episode one, I completely understand. 
but we have been around Shame long on enough. You. Go yeah. on, it's on the YouTube playlist. Go watch it. It's not, but, but, uh, Ned doesn't understand. Yeah. I understand. Uh, okay. But but we have been around long enough that we can do references back to our old playlist uh, episodes, which is pretty great. We talk about the psychographic profiles. If you missed that one, uh, Mel, the psychographic profile, is uh, an aesthetic appreciation of a card that has nothing to do with the lore or the art. Lore and art are Vorthos. On the other end of the spectrum is, I appreciate this card for what it represents mechanically. And that can tie into the lore. Uh, If a card's mechanics mimic what that card represents in the fiction, that can stir up Mel feelings and and Mel appreciation. But it can also just be like, you know what? I I, I find that this card is a interesting mechanical reference to another thing. Um, Right. And and so, or he's like an elegant implementation of a mechanic. An elegant, you know? perfect way. So, yeah, yes, yeah. And and I suspect that uh, um, Ned and I will probably touch on both of those. Both the yes. even as we do like Star Wars. Just so we're clear, do not yeah. add us in comments. Pro. So being able to say this card captures this moment in Star Wars is a good feeling. But also, this card is just cool mechanically yeah. not in a johnny way not in a jenny way not in a there's no like wheels turning in your head about how you're going to combo off and it's not because a card is necessarily mechanically efficient it's it's about that this card does something interesting within the rule set in a way that shows a real touch of skill from a design standpoint it, it's a very sort of designer like card rules designer aesthetic in my opinion Man, I'm going to have to go back and grab that from the recording yeah. because it's probably too long, but that might be a better subtitle than yet another uh, Star Wars Unlimited podcast because it's interesting, if if not efficient. Uh, <laughs> might be describe our level of interest in a lot, a lot of Star Wars oh, Unlimited. Yes. Like, yeah, this is really yeah. interesting, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's and so I yeah. think that's why we're... So we're going to go in. Ned and I are going to do uh, top three Mel cards each. I'll let Ned go first, but before he does, I am going to uh, throw out an honorable mention uh, for Strafing Gunship. Uh, Crossing Arenas is mechanically interesting, but it just came out for us uh, today. So, well, not today, but the day today that we're recording. And so there hasn't been enough time to really let it sink in and process and inform this list because I don't want to put it at the top of my list because then... I'm stuck in high school again saying that Starship Troopers is the greatest movie of all time. And let's let's not go there, you know. But if we're talking about top five space opera, no. <laughs> um, so, okay, uh, not strafing gunship. Top, your third. Can, can most, I just, bef- yes, before please. we go on to my third, can you talk about what makes strafing gunship such a such a slam, well, not quite a slam dunk for you, but, but it, it stirs up the feeling so strongly? Sure. Uh, I mean, mostly again, it's crossing arenas. It's it's yeah. Anytime something, I think, breaks a rule in a simple manner, that yes. I find fascinating. We 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 have built a game. Not we. The devs have built a game. Yes. That has two arenas, and mm-hmm. so much of the game thinks about those arenas. You have cards that say "do a thing," but you have plenty of cards that also say "do a thing to a ground unit" or right. where where the the defining aspect of the card is not a trait, but it, 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 not a leader or not leader, it's which arena it's in. 
And so right. we, the entire game is built on the supposition. And then you have a card that says, eh, either is good by me yeah. as a unit. Yeah. And, and yeah. then it's a strafing gunship, right? Like, I mean, and, and I'm less excited because I don't know that there's an iconic strafing gunship in Star Wars. But I mean, there is in maybe all science fiction, but a ship flies sure. over. It shoots people on the ground. Yep. That's one of those things that feels so simple. I, I mean, part of me almost wonders if it might one day be keyworded but it's just it's just nice it's yeah. just again elegant right yeah. what's this cool i mean it's the minus two elegant. is great yeah and i want to i mean it goes great in your Jin or so yeah. jedi deck but my Jin or so jedi deck but Bombay the cards the, the part that yeah. just really sings is that also but the minus two makes sense they're on the ground the the strafing coming gunship in out of space. Is it, yeah uh, coming out of space it's, you can't shoot back your, as much that's crazy yeah. right? um, it's your your stuka dive bombers yeah, yeah. no so it, it rates but it's too new to i mean you know you can't you can't win you can't win if you just came out we haven't had time to let that sink in so totally number three so then. for my number three card it's power of the dark side uh i really like it for a bunch of reasons uh to kind of go through um it's this unstoppable power. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter what your stats are. You will fail to the power of the dark side unless you have friends, right? Like it's a card that specifically targets, you know, if you imagine Luke facing down against Vader where Luke is, is full of themselves and, and Vader just, it's the power of the dark side. Without Luke's friends, he's, he's vulnerable. I, I really like... Uh power of the dark side mechanically but i hadn't actually thought about what that represented uh yeah as yeah that's uh that's although now i'm thinking about i mean luke no luke couldn't defeat the emperor he, until vader yeah became no, exactly. his friend. he needed right. he needed a change of heart yeah right exactly um <laughs> uh i mean counterpoint i'd say yeah. that the the emperor views uh, vader as traitorous but Vader sure. okay. definitely has we, more we than can, three We can power. have these arguments. Yeah, no, we, we can De absolutely have these arguments. Yeah. Um, no, 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 but yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so Power of the Dark Side, uh, high Mel score. Um, yeah. I'm going to go with two, uh, tied for Ooh. third place. Yeah. So, wait, so you get an honorable mention and you get an extra one? I'm going to take, I'm going to say that the honorable mention is from both of us, but yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I wrote the, I, I wrote the script, right? Uh, also, uh, you got to pick your three first, so I'm I'm Fair. scooping up the dregs. Okay. But they're they they're it's just two cards that do the same thing for me, which is my number three Mel card is entrenched and force throw, uh, and I don't know if uh, these are somewhat thematic. Uh, force throw feels very thematic. You're throwing the card, but what makes it sing for me is that I think either mechanic would work on its own. Uh, either half so for example to take entrenched if you had a card that was give a unit a an enemy unit plus three plus three uh, and they can't attack your base there's a cost where that would be playable right and likewise give one of your units plus three plus three and you know friendly unit plus three plus three and can't attack base there's a cost where that would be playable yes. by a, mashing a resource those, cost that a resource would, that cost would, where that would be playable. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but but by mashing them together so that it's any unit, it, it presents a, a very compelling and I think interesting choice. Do you give the plus three, plus three to your opponent mm -hmm. as a defensive measure that you have to deal with later? It's just a stalling tactic. And, you know, stalling tactic is 
uh, a tough question in blue, which is rife yeah. with actual solutions as opposed to stalls? Or do you give yourself the plus three, plus three to establish dominance of an arena? Either can be viable, but it's a very context-dependent uh, decision. And I think yes. regardless of whether that makes it good, it, having those high-skill context-read cards, uh, I think just elevates the entire game. Likewise with yeah. uh, Force Throw. Do you discard the card to ensure that you are doing a lot of damage? Or do you make them discard the card so they're down a card, but there's a good chance. I mean, you know, there goes yeah. metal ceremony and great, you did zero. You know, but right. it, again, it requires you to read the meta. It requires you to read your opponent. It requires you to read uh, the context of what you're attempting to achieve. And anytime you can increase the amount of context reading, it elevates the game. So that's my number three is force throw and trench. Those kind of interesting Ooh, yes. whoever you yeah. play them on. So. Yeah. Who's your and, number two? And my number two, Darth Vader commanding the first legion. Unit so Vader. This is yeah. The the reason for this is the kind of movie moment aspect of it. Where I recently was able to rewatch Star Wars with my child, and the moment when like Darth Vader bursts onto the consular ship, he's got all his flunkies with him, and he's absolutely just kicking butt throwing people all over the place. He's a menace. And I feel like Darth Vader commanding the First Legion totally has that that feel. It captures that movie moment perfectly because he's coming in, he's ambushing, so he's probably going to take out something non-trivially large, and he's brought his flunkies with him. So, uh, you know, he gets to, to really show off how much of a, a big, tough badass he can be. You know, it's... If you had not chosen your three Mel cards first, I was also yeah. going to choose Vader, but for a uh, a different reason. Um, I was thinking, mindful that the art portrays him uh, on Hoth, I was right. picturing yes. him in Rogue One. And you say flunkies, but I say entourage, uh, where you know Rogue One Vader turns off the lights on his respiratory device so that he can be cool in the dark to you know, start attacking the rebels. He wants to make that yeah. grand entrance. He's just a drama queen. And so in my mind, he's showing up to be awesome with the ambush, but he's only going to do it in front of friends. He's only going to be super cool Vader if he has some some other people around to watch how yeah. cool he is. But yeah, I, I, your argument, I think, is probably more compelling that, that they're, you know, he just brings this legion. I don't know. Yeah, Darth Vader is... Is it possible to say he's jumped a shark? Like he's just become too cool and too awesome all the time? Maybe I don't know. I mean, yeah, no, I think I think you could make that that argument that like, I'm probably unfairly dunking up. on him uh, from Rogue One. Um, I mean, you know, Vader's super cool. Uh, okay, my number two, yes. uh, I'll be I'll be fast is for the, because it's, I chose it for the same reasons as number three. It's redemption. Uh, just again. Both ends of that card are reasonably playable. Maybe not at that resource cost, but a 6-9 yeah. Sentinel in space. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, a 6-1 in space that heals 8. Yeah. But the choice, how much do you heal, how much do you leave on the card is, again, elevates the skill. This the reverse Palpatine, you know, Absolutely. Yeah, no, those, those interesting like micro game textures. You know, whenever those show up in a game, those those kind of micro decisions where you're you're essentially like playing a little mini game of 
how much damage do I think my opponent can inflict? Uh, so how much uh, healing do I think that I can reasonably pull off on the redemption? That adds a lot of fun game texture. Yeah, and and I yeah. you know and it, and it yeah it's just the sentinel because it's from the movie scene. It's this yeah giant uh, capital ship that kind of gets in the way uh, that mm -hmm. that she you know that provides a barrier. It's a healing medical frigate. Like I mean that whole it's a, yeah. a strong mail card. Uh, no notes. Um, but your most mail card, Ned. My most mail card, number one, with a bullet, is the Millennium Falcon. Uh, the reason for that is twofold, and that has to do with the fact that the Millennium Falcon has two abilities. So let's look at the two abilities on the Millennium Falcon. The first is it comes into play readied, right? And if you think about, um, you know, going back to A New Hope, you've got the scene, Luke's in the trench run, Darth Vader's on his butt, Everything's looking like it's, it's all going to come down. And out of nowhere, blazing out of the sun, it's the Millennium Falcon coming in and, and rescuing. Entering ready. Yeah, entering ready, right? It's coming in out of nowhere to help. And I, I think that that really captures that particular feel about it. And then simultaneously, well, the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. I, I think, and the key thing is that it's not yeah. just ambush, right? It's a base yes. attack that right. it's helping. So that's it's, it's not just entering yes. ready to attack another unit. I mean, technically, yes, but it's entering ready as part of a base run, so it can do damage yes. to a base, elevating no, it above ambush. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so that's number one. And then number two, it, the second ability on it, the, the, the drawback, is that um, the Millennium Falcon is always kind of running off, right? Like, if you think about the, the lead-up to that scene, Han is leaving. He doesn't want to be part of this rebellion. He just wants to get paid and go. If you think about, uh, you know, right before the invasion at Echo Base... Uh, Han, he's just trying to get paid, trying to get out of there. He wants to go pay off Java. So there's this constant risk that the, the Falcon, it's not really on your side. It, it's, you know, at, at least under Han, it's it's kind of it's a little bit amoral, right? Like yeah. It's, it's yeah. going to be here, but it's got its own, its own situation going on. And the combination of those two uh, means that you get a unit that gets to play these really fun kind of hit and run games that I like a lot. Like it's maybe not the most efficient way to spend your resources, but having a you know ship that can come in, deal some damage, and then bump off back to your hand is something that I think is interesting. And and getting like multiple enter the battlefields off the same card, multiple like when played abilities if there are abilities in the future that I expect will trigger off of playing. Um, the Falcon or something like it, um, you know, that's interesting. I like I like that that uh, kind of texture. It's funny that you view the upkeep cost on the Millennium Falcon as this Han Solo, you know, running away, yeah. bouncing the hand. Whereas sure. for me, it's you know, uh, one of my favorite Star Wars characters, Ray. Uh, the garbage will do. Like the Millennium Falcon is just this hunk of junk. And so mm -hmm. it's just, you know, pouring money into giving Chewbacca money yep. to go buy parts to fix it. So it could go either way. Um, all right. Uh, my most one. Mo oh, what? Yeah. My what's number your number one? one? Uh, is a Chiru. Uh, and because he hits two notes, uh, thematically, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, uh, that kind of last stand at the Alamo, just you can't take him down effect is rep, you know great represents his final scene mm -hmm. and also his leader side plus two hp uh to units represents you know he spends most of the movie being a blind sage just kind of 
get doling Wise out wisdom. Advice. Yeah, yeah. So, so thematically, it really hits the notes. But then on what pushes it up into number one from really good to just is that a lot of games, especially digital uh, TCGs, health goes down. But in mm. Star Wars Unlimited, damage goes up. And mm. so you can have a, a unit in Runeterra or something where they can't go below zero. And so the health goes down, you get to zero. And at the end of the round, if it's still at zero, it dies. But you have an opportunity to heal it. And and that's mm -hmm. a different balancing effect. But with Chiru, right. the damage can go above his hit points. And yes. you, know, you could, in theory, stack 30 damage on him. And you could, in theory... Uh, heal for 26 uh, to to bring him back bring down him within, back. Yeah. you know into yeah. survivability range that's a big number but it yeah. kind of it's just a, it's that little nuance that highlights kind of how Star Wars Unlimited the damage going up is a little different mm -hmm. than not all games uh, sure. plenty of games have damage go up but, but I would say it's less common especially in the era of digital TCGs and so his ability just goes, you know, just a little bit extra. You have to think about, oh, that's how Star Wars Unlimited does it. And for that, yeah. it pushes me into number one. Beautiful. All right. Uh, one more segment, dear listener. Um, I'm, I think it's fair to say uh, I'm a monster. Uh, I am a bad person. I do bad things. And as you know, uh, tonight, I am King Azaz. Uh, ruler of the city of Dictionopolis, and I've made this a no math zone. And zero math. Zero math. And over the weekend, uh, take the initiative. I uh, had a nice little eight round uh, bracket, and we are not at 100% uh, Sparker Rebellion, but I mean, 17 out of 18, 18 liters is, is getting there. Um, yeah. This is close to a full meta, and. It's uh, there's enough diversity that you can have ask and watch inter ask interesting questions, watch interesting games. So Ned, we have a tournament with a bracket. There are spreadsheets out there that track cards. Oh, man, yep. Let's talk about and how I'm we not... feel about yeah, this no, game. Yeah, no, I mean, I would really <laughs> love to be able to look at like looking at this population of units and running the regression to see if we can do a better job of predicting cards for tournament viability, but I'm not going to do that. I'm, you don't I'm get to. Stop even, I, I, I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to go, wow, this in a completely unquantifiable way feels interesting. Yes, um, feels so interesting. Emotions, feels, let's do it. In, okay, okay. <laughs> what do you, what do you, what do you think? Just looking at some of the deck lists. So I kind of spoiled this a little bit going in, but um, you sent me the tournament results, and I noticed that there was a Leia Red in there, and then I immediately went through the garbage rollers. Like, they play so many beautiful games on YouTube. They have a lot of good commentary on them. And see, like, I when I saw Leia spoiled as a leader, I thought, wow, why would I ever use this? It seemed incredibly niche. The The... Like benefits from it did not seem like it outweighed at all. Like if I'm gonna play Heroism Green, why don't I just play Hera and I have additional deck building options and my my leader, you know, is arguably better when they're deployed. Ne but, never, but um, never underestimate action compression. 
Yeah, no, and I think that that's the takeaway, and that's one of the things that is super fascinating about Star Wars Unlimited is that it has unique features that you don't see in other games, and so my ability, like one's ability to kind of evaluate things off the cup has to get updated and seeing you know the garbage rollers games where leia red just absolutely runs the table uh i did not have similar effects and i think that that was purely piloting error but uh that there's a leia red in the top uh eight and not only it's a leia red but it's a leia red that's running metal ceremony it's a Leia Red that's running Academy Training. These are two cards where I saw them and my eyes just glazed over and my brain went draft chaff in a really kind of loud klaxon. But, I mean, I, I do not argue with facts, and these are some really interesting facts that, that I'm going to take some time to chew on. Yeah, you know, I remember when Star Wars Unlimited was being announced and people were looking at things and... Uh, I remember when Leia was very was spoiled. Uh, she mm -hmm. was the she was the first spoiled leader. Uh, Luke and Darth were part of the announcement, but Leia came mm -hmm. later. And a lot of people who were Destiny players, I think, freaked out a little bit because uh, neither of us played Destiny. But my understanding no. through SWU osmosis is that action compression became a bit of a problem in that game. And so mm. there was a little concern uh, about Leia, and then she had her nadir uh, through spoiler season. And, yep. But, yeah, she's absolutely on the rise. Um, yeah, yeah. All right, I'm going to go one. Uh, what's, what's yours? Yeah. Nobody brought blue. Uh, I, I mean, people brought Krennic. So there were, what were right. two, I believe, two blue decks. But, and Luke, Luke, people brought and Luke. Luke and Luke, but people brought blue yeah. leaders. But blue was the yes. only color that nobody said. You know what? My leader is missing. Blue. Um, right. Luke's ability to add a shield, and you know the lightsabers are good, and unit Luke is good. I suspect that if somebody could have brought Krennic without having to be stuck in blue, they would have uh, some villainous green big butts with red or yellow might have you know it's just Krennic's ability with the restore and villainy is but nobody said there just zero of eight decks said i'm gonna bring blue and as a future blue player yeah. that was sad yeah i mean i i think it is interesting i'm curious to see uh what what happens um you know i i feel like in terms of the bases the the blue um 25 hp base is not maybe quite as good as uh, Energy Conversion Lab, but then again, uh, kind of what is. I know uh, Tyler Parrott said that 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 shields are limited in SOAR and that future sets will deal with shields as a currency. So yeah. I am I am long Okay. On, on blue 25 hit point base. I am, I'm long. I think there'll be a point where you're looking for every possible shield you can get where there is a meaningful difference between three and four shields. But... Over the weekend, with Take the Initiative, there there was not. Nobody said they wanted to be blue. And maybe that's just it. You know, Maybe, maybe it's not the yeah. pool, it's the, the base. When there's only one be. 25 HP base per color, it's, you know, what happens when you can go yeah. red with, without going Tarkin Town, you know? Right, and I think that the, the leaders are um, interesting. Um, the, the pool of leaders that we have, not all of the niches have been explored. Like, I think that, that uh, heroism doesn't have too, too many 
uh, what I'd call more like controlling to mid-range leaders, and I think that uh, uh, Villainy doesn't have too, too many uh, aggressive leaders, you know, putting IG-88 to one side. Um, and I Viable. think that as... Agri yeah. Aggro leaders. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I think that he will, his day will come. His I, day will I come. that fucking votes. All I, right. I agree. But putting, putting that to one side, on the subject of 25 HP bases, um, something that I thought was really interesting is the uh, presence of 25 HP bases. There were a lot of them. Uh, I think there were two non, like two full health bases, and these both were the aggro full, the aggro 30 HP base, um, which... You know, if you're trying to win a race, it makes sense. But people who brought like more mid-rangey, and even people, some people who brought, I feel pretty aggro-y shells. Um, you know, looking at that that heroic uh, red Leia, um, they tended for 25 HP bases, and I, I feel like having an extra ability to throw around can be huge. Is really powerful and and ought not to be neglected. Okay. Yeah. I. I. I... Yeah, it'll be interesting. That that feels like one of those questions that people love to argue about. Are the mm -hmm. 30 HP bases, do they have values? You know, is it a meta read against aggro? Do you always take an extra ability to answer early for 5 HP later? Yeah. And that just feels like a question that you can't answer in, until you have at least one set. That just feels... Yeah. Um, no, I, I would agree with that. I think it's going to depend on the meta, but... As a lifelong person who feels that the value, the only hit point that matters is the last one on your base, um, give give me bases with even less hit points and more powerful abilities. Yeah. Let me let me pay base help to draw cards. You no. will not regret it. No, um, I I want to draw cards and I want to pay base health for the privilege. Let 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 me. That let that me it. offends me to the very core of my being. <laughs> Um, I intellectually, I get it. Right now, we're talking. This is an emotions yeah. segment, and that's wrong. Yes. Uh, you know that that kind of feeds into one of my takeaways, which is that um, there was more control than I would have expected. Mm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the natural life cycle of a set uh, of a of a TCG set. We'll, we'll use the term format, right? Like format. Format. Yeah. Where is in is if a new set is released and the format has changed, if or a set is if, removed, the format has changed. Format has so, changed, right? Any given the life cycle, the healthy life cycle of a format is that aggro dominates because it's easy to identify aggro cards, and then uh, and aggro is ascendant, and then over time, uh, control uh, as people figure out all of the interactions, all of the lines, control is you know it becomes a mid range meta, it becomes mm -hmm. a healthy or a control meta, and, and if the developers have designed things right and timed things right, then right about when control is looking like it might become oppressive, the format changes. And I don't think that that's necessarily, I think that that's like a, 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 from a like extremely high level summary of how things work, maybe you can make that argument. Um, I, I think that in general, healthy formats tend to have a balance between all archetypes where, where aggro, mid-range, and control can all coexist until the Fire Nation attacked. Sure, sure, uh, sure. But, yeah. Top, <laughs> top. top five, if no. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> um, I think that the decks that you see a lot in early 
stages of a format are linear decks, where a linear deck is you're trying to jam a bunch of cards together that all are kind of pointing in the same direction, where, where a classic example of a linear deck is um, you have like a Foozle deck where all of your Foozles get a bonus, and so you include all the Foozle cards and all the Foozle enhancement cards, and then you run it because it's it's really obvious what you're trying to do. You're trying to play your Foozles as fast as possible and get the Foozle bonuses on them, and then you, you stomp your opponent. But I would say that in SWU, um, there are a couple of factors that mean that, that aggro is more difficult to play. I think that one of them are um, when you're playing aggro, and I think we talked about this up uh, earlier, you have very few decisions that you're making, so it's very important that you make them correctly. And I think that our skill at piloting decks is not where it's going to be in like a year from now. We being you know, the entire if, Star Wars Unlimited community. The community, right? Like, it's this is a new game. It ha demands new modes of thinking. It demands new ways of approaching things. It demands new tools for evaluation. And because of that, you know, when you are making few decisions, it is important that you make them correctly. And if you are playing aggro, you are trying to make few decisions. And so making sure that you are making those correctly, I think, is really important. And I will be interested to see how, how that develops. Uh, that, the other part of that, yeah. That makes me feel stressed, Ned. That's why I run mid-range, so I don't, uh, goodstuff.deck, so I don't have to make decisions. It's just the card that comes off the top of my deck, that's the best one. Yeah. I play it. Okay. Tim Tam you know, Slam. You play, you play the, yep. Timmy Tim Slam, play right the, on the table. Play the thing on curve. Yep. yep. You play your ramp, you play your things on, on your speed sped up curve, your ramped curve, and, and there you go. 10 ramp but, cards, uh, 40 star destroyers, dot deck. Like, that's, that's the dream. We're good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think the other, just one, one more tiny note, oh, and I know that, um, I think that another question is, the, the two resource question is, because we're starting with two resources, is we're accelerating the game a little bit, right? Like mid-range, you know, if I'm playing a mid-range deck, by turn four, I'm getting into the, the kind of beefy part of my mid-range deck, whereas... If we were starting with one resource, I'm not sure that that, you know, you would have to have that extra turn. And the, the player who was running a lot of one cost units would have one more turn worth of stuff potentially. And so no, I'm that, not that, making. Yeah, go ahead. That goes to last week's uh, yeah. or two weeks ago's episode in that uh, where, where one, uh, you know, you were saying that a lot of decks in, in the current standard magic format yeah. just don't run one cost. But I assume most. Yeah. Aggro decks run yes, one cost. Yes, they run one cost units. And so, so they're, they're essentially, that, in a one yeah. drop, getting an extra turn. And, yes. Uh, which is not true here. If it, yes. Almost everybody can find a two cost that fits into their deck's plan. Somehow, right. Okay. Yeah. Any One um, more observation, Ned. I think we each had no, three. No, I mean, I just, just to, to... Oh, one more observation about the tournament. Uh, overwhelming Barrage. So if we look at... That's not an observation, that run, that's a card. I, I think that it is both a card and an observation, is that Overwhelming Barrage is one of the only cards that you can see in the current metagame that has the ability to take out multiple uh, opposing units. The others being like Palpatine, which costs eight. And Palpatine isn't even as much damage potentially as an Overwhelming Barrage. So when you are playing a mid-range deck, when you're playing a controlling deck, you need to be able to clear the board efficiently you cannot just one for one your opponent's units all the time especially against an aggro player that that has some some staying power or some other kinds of of reach elements and so overwhelming barrage is your ticket to being able to answer multiple opposing cards for only one of your cards and 
I'm going to, uh, I, I again haven't looked incredibly closely, so this is, this is gut, but I think it is the only card that was run out of faction for any deck was, was Overwhelming Barrage. The, and it wasn't just one deck, I think multiple Heroism decks ran Overwhelming Barrage out of faction. And I am going to be really curious as the, the game develops. I really hope that Heroism is going to get something comparable to Overwhelming Barrage because it seems like a weird mirror break in a way that I don't, that, that offends my aesthetic sensibilities if only the dark side gets um, mass removal. Well, I won't let you, uh, I'm going to, I know, I, I will agree with you, Ned. I'm not succumbing to the dark side because I have you as a friend. But man, yeah, that overwhelming barrage makes the dark side real tempting. Um, yeah. So speaking of green cards that surprised me by their uh, high presence in the Take the Initiative tournament was uh, Consortium Star Viper. I feel yeah. like consensus is that uh, common single aspect units are draft chaff. And yet, Consortium Star Viper seem to show up. There's, a, I think, quite a few deck lists that have Consortium Star Viper on it. Yeah. That, that felt odd. Like, that felt uh, counter to conventional wisdom. And so, you know. So here's, here's my take on it, is that I think from a naive perspective, you're going to assume that a unit that has more aspects is going to be more powerful. And I think that in general... I believe that, is, that Ned. Are you saying I'm naive? I, I am saying that that is a naive approach because I think that that on the whole that is true. But the, when a design when you're a designer and you're making cards, there's variances in the cards that you design. You're not like using the same bucket of power. You're you're trying to keep the the buckets the same size that you're pouring into all the cards. But you're not going to make it perfect. Some cards you're going to pour a little bit more into. Some cards you're going to pour a little bit less into. And then the combination of that with um, Specific requirements um, to, to talk about the games that we played. Answering two, three opposing space units on turn three is something that you really need to be able to do. Like red one is significant. Um, red you know, three. Red three. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, no, you're right. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, 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 mean, I enjoyed playing right. Consortium Star Viper when I was uh, running Green Krennic, right? Like that's. A, yes. It, it, it's a fantastic stall card, you know? Right. If I don't have initiative, fits. it's just 3-3 three, three of space right. beef. And if I do have initiative, it's a restore. Right. And it fits right into that particular spot. And so you are sometimes going to see, even though overall as a rule of thumb, I think that it's true that uh, single aspect cards will probably have a little bit less juice in them than uh, multi-aspect cards. I think that you are going to see continually... Uh, commons, single aspect commons that are role players that do a specific job showing up in decks going forward, just because you units specifically. the right tool. Yes, you don't right think job. that's a, well, not even units. You don't think that's a, a limitation of the format that, that right now we just don't have enough sets and that if we're in a six set format, you can't find enough two aspect cards that are better than single aspect cards to do the thing you want to do? I I mean, I'm going to say from my gut again. You're we're we're trying to. This is the gut zone. This is the, the gut, gut zone. zone. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say no, and I'm going to base this on like magic. And in magic, a card with two colored pips is probably better than a card with one colored pip. So like a a one and a red versus a red red card, 
And nonetheless, we see people play one in a red cards in all different kinds of formats. And yes, the resource model is different, and you can make the argument that, you know, color requirements, yada, yada, yada. But sometimes you need the right tool for the right job, and sometimes, like, the benefit that you're getting by adding the extra aspect um, is not lining up with what you need it to do. So typically they won't print strictly better versions of cards, right? Like, typically right. they won't print, like, Vanquish, but you draw a card at the same cost in if it's, like, blue-black, right? You, you can make the argument that... Power of the dark side is takedown for blue black, right? Where it's it's and yet it is distinct. Yeah, it, it, it is distinct, right? And like there it, are going to be metas and calls where takedown's the better play. Exactly, or okay. you know you just run both. Or yeah, mm, yeah. That's that's or, always or a good answer. Dose. Yeah. All right, uh, and I think that's all she wrote. Uh, that was episode eight. This was episode eight. We're still in it, technically, yeah. uh, of The Force Unlimited. We're recording on January 30th, wink of 2024. Uh, dear listener, if you have any thoughts about this episode, uh, please email us at theforceunlimited at gmail.com. Ned, do you have any thoughts about this episode? I do have some thoughts about this episode. Uh, my thoughts are I cannot wait for the return of uh, that Dear Sweet Man Monday. Oh, of, of math? Yeah. Yes. No. Uh, uh, I have secured my <laughs> iron grip, and I am never releasing it. I will. Ne I control the overlay. I'm never changing my name back. Uh, okay. With that, dear listener, I will see you. We will see you in two weeks. Adios.